Hey everyone, and welcome to the Small Business Made Simple podcast, where we help you market and grow your business so simply that it makes your competitors say, why didn't we think of that? I'm your host, Sam Moss, and I can't wait to see you be the leader of your industry. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me today for another episode of Small Business Made Simple. I just want to give a quick shout out to my little brother, Ben, who is actually taller than me, so really not that little. Today is his birthday. I don't, I think he's turning 20. Um, Hopefully he isn't listening to this. Um, I believe he is turning 20. Anyway, today's his birthday, and Ben actually owns or he's more of like a freelance videographer. Um, So what he does is he goes into businesses and he takes um, really, really good quality videos of events, um, promotional items. He does like, you know, real estate photography or not photography, videography um, for businesses. So he goes in and does those and he does really good work. So I would recommend checking him out on Facebook if you haven't had a chance. His name is Ben Moss. So today on the podcast, I have a local business owner named Dan Flat. Dan owns Multimedia Services, and they're a printing company down in Corning, New York. I actually got to take some time to look around their facility while I was there, and it's actually massive. Um, they, do, uh, they print signage, brochures, marketing materials, and just a ton of stuff. I couldn't even list, list it all. Um, I was really impressed by what they're doing down there. Um, today, though, Dan talks about what happens to your business when you really try to grow or scale too fast. Uh, he talks about how to keep your business growing at a healthy pace. And uh, he had a couple of stories in there where I was just like, oh, I can see how uh, that can happen if you really try to grow too fast and how terrible it can be for your business. And it really could cost you your business if you try to scale and grow too fast. So here is my interview with local business owner, Dan Flat. Hey, Dan, and welcome to the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I just want to talk a little bit about your business and, uh, really just help other small business owners hopefully succeed and gather some great information from you. So can you tell us a little bit about how you started and just talk me through that? Sure. So a lot of times when you look back on your life, there's a a path, but going forward, you don't necessarily see it. Uh, Growing up, my father was a salesperson for AB Dick Company in Syracuse, New York. He sold Mm -hmm. uh, printing presses, mimeographs, and spirit machines to churches and schools and, and companies in the late 70s, and he was very successful, became uh, uh, a regional sales rep for that company, and called on all the distributors for AB Dick Company in the Northeast, Mm -hmm. and one of the customers that he called on was in Elmira Heights, Okay, and uh, struck up a friendship. My parents are both originally from Cortland, New York, so it gave him a chance to come back um, from Connecticut to upstate New York. And so I kind of grew up in a business that sold equipment to the printers, Mm -hmm. sold um, services and supplies. And then um, after I graduated from University of Buffalo, uh, we we came back here. I worked for my father in sales and became 
very very successful salesperson sold offset equipment. We also sold Canon color copiers, and uh, we basically were the largest in the area. And was fortunate. My father was fortunate enough to um, be offered numerous times to have his business bought, and ultimately decided to sell to Icon Office Solutions in 1997. Uh, when he sold to Icon Office Solutions, I stayed on board, and I was working towards finishing my MBA at Syracuse, and um, worked with them until I graduated, and then. One of my customers was Rick Bartholomew, who had the internal print shop for Ingersoll Rand. And in 1997, they told him, we don't want to be in the printing business anymore, but we like what you do. We've looked around. There's no other really good options for us. We'd like you to buy that business and, uh, and sell to us, uh, or you can just find a different job. Yeah. <laughs> so he decided to go ahead and, and do that, not having any experience in running a business, but just being a manager. And he ran it for a couple of years. In fact, I introduced my wife to him in like 97, and she was actually working for him three years before I came aboard. Mm-hmm. And then when I got my MBA, uh, I had an option to, to move south to, to a bigger market. Um, but both of our parents are in town, and we just wanted to be able to start a family here. And so I went up to a Bills game every year with Rick Bartholomew, and... You know, I sold him all of his equipment, and it was always a win-win. You know, I would, I would do well, he did well. And so it came to a time where he said, listen, I don't know what I'm doing. All this technology is happening. I'm, a little, I'm more than a little bit concerned that I'm not going to be able to, to navigate it, and I ultimately want to retire. Yeah. You know, and so we, we agreed to, to come together, and obviously I didn't have a lot of capital, um, but uh, I, I took a huge pay cut from, from where I was working, as, as you know sales and came here with with the ability to buy shares up to a certain point and then there would be a buyout that I that I would pay him off when he retires and that that actually started well so we started in in 2000 and he retired in July of 2013 so really the reason you got into it was kind of your dad then because yes. he had that background in printing yeah and it's and it's now I'm on the other side of the equation so yeah. I'm buying equipment like I just you know this huge xerox we just put in it's yeah I, it's it's a weird thing knowing that I was on the other side of the table mm-hmm. and now I'm, now I'm in the opposite role, but yes, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of come full circle. So this is the full, the first business that you've owned, right? Yes. Yeah. And how long has it been since you really started the printing? How long, how old were you when, you know, your dad started the business and you kind of got into it? How long have you been Thir- in the industry? I was, I was 13 when my dad, uh, bought duplicating products in Elmira Heights. Yeah. And then, um, I came back from, from University of Buffalo and worked here from, I think, 91 until 99 mm-hmm. at, at both his duplicating products and then Icon Office Solutions, which bought, which bought him out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, and, and it was really going for having an MBA was really cool in the fact that it just kind of helps you learn how to think and gives you a little more confidence. So I spent the summer of 1999 writing a business plan and we went to the, we went to a bank and I sat down, gave them this plan, walked through the plan, asked for a half a million dollars. And wow. <laughs> and they gave it to us. But we did all the legwork. We had done all the, and we were off to the races. I mean, he had some basic equipment, and it was a smaller shop, but we, we invested in, you know, bigger, large format, bigger. We've been doing large formats for 15 years. <laughs> um, bigger presses, bigger copiers, and we just, we just decided to go you know, all in because I knew there was fifteen. There was fifteen competitors when we first started within fifteen miles. Mm-hmm. There's three now, 
wow. and we're by far the biggest. But I knew that this was a mature industry. It's an industry that's ne- that's that's in. If anything, it's in a slow decline. If not for like the online ordering, um, that's more of a commodity. It probably is in a slow decline. But we're we're talking about a decline that's going to last twenty five years. It's not like it's imminent. So the thing is, you want to be the you want to be the biggest in the marketplace, because it's impossible. The pie is not growing. So you've got to have a big enough slice of the of the existing pie if you're going to be able to continue to invest, to invest in technology and equipment. And so that was our goal from day one. That's what we laid out to the bank. We said, this is what we want to do. Go all, go in all or don't do it at all. And they said, we'll, we'll back you. And we became, yeah, we, we grew, I think we were one of the top 50 companies, printing companies in 2001. We grew from about 1.1 to about 1.8. Wow. So when you saw that there was... 15 competitors in a general vicinity of where you were did that kind of like set off any alarms like oh man this could not work out what made you push through that no because when you realize that you know in the growth curve of of industries when 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 you have early adopters and there's very few and then everybody goes hey that works then everybody jumps in yeah. right and then you got a thousand it's like restaurants you got a thousand restaurants but all thousand restaurants can't survive <laughs> the thing about decline is that if you knock if 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 you knock some of the weaker hands out nobody's going to come back in yeah because like you said that pie, without that pie growing in the growth in the growth stage the pie is always growing so people are just jumping in left and right people <laughs> are falling away left and right but when it's when it's in a consolidation and uh, in a mature stage you're not going to come in and invest $500,000 to try to compete for the small slice of the yeah. pie you're going to get. There's no, there's no reason for it. So I knew that the benefit of being in a mature, slightly declined market is that you can control your destiny. You can become, there's always going to be one. And you want more than one. You want two or three. And so I got, well, there's two or three competitors. But you, you, that's all there's going to be. There's really, it's hard to have somebody else come in and disrupt it because there's not enough market share to go around. Yeah. So that strategically, it's actually a very smart move. Yeah. And when it came to marketing, one of the things that we like to get out on the podcast is, you know, what did you do right? What did you do wrong? How can you help another business owner that might just be starting out? Maybe they're kind of in business already. What are some things that you did right in those early years that really got you out there and kind of started knocking off some of those 15? Well, we're, we're B2B. Okay, so that's a little bit different from a, from a B2C. But in a B2B, your marketplace might be 400 customers, potential. And so you want to you wanna try to find the customers that most match your core product or your core benefits and that you could serve them and they would find a reason to continue to come back and back. Because like customers of ours, like say Guthrie, I need them to feel comfortable because they're ordering stuff daily. You know, and it's a relationship that you're building up. So you got to find the customers that you can develop a long-term relationship with, that become that floor that you can grow from. Yeah. Because without having, without having a Corning Inc. or uh, First Heritage or um, Corning Community Cow, any of these, you got to have bigger cu- customers that can allow you to invest in equipment, and then all the smaller customers can take advantage of all those processes that would not be available if you didn't have that floor. How long did it take you to go out and get that floor? What did you do? Well, to be honest with you, in, in 20 years, that floor has shifted like three times because mm-hmm. that's just the way the world works. Nothing is forever. Um, we, had some, we had some relationships with even Ingersoll Rand. 
but Ingersoll Rand Dresser Rand has been bought three times. So that where they once were probably 90% of our business when, when Rick first was an implant, that was, that's who we served. Now they might be 4% of our business. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's other manufacturing companies or there's some, there's some great uh, training companies. There's a company called CCFL that was in Corning that actually I finished my MBA through Syracuse there. They no longer exist. Yeah. You know, so that was a, those were great customers that helped us build our business. But because trends have changed, they've, they've just ceased operation. So when the trends change, I mean, they do, customers go, customers come. Mm-hmm. What do you do to stay on top of that? Because a customer is not going to stay with you forever. Like you no, said, no. what is something you do to always keep that fresh? I mean, if Guthrie were to go, I mean, oh, you yeah. have to replace them with somebody. How do you go about that? Uh, well, so. And that, and so we had Ingersoll, we had Ingersoll ran different one in, in Athens, Pennsylvania, and they were the first Ingersoll ran in the country and everybody thought they were immune to this happening. And they were our biggest customer. They were about $600,000 a year. And we had a contract, we had a, a five-year contract. And one day they, they had a press release that they were closing the factory in Athens and moving to North or South Carolina. And it almost put us out of business. It was only the fact that I had a contract with them that allowed us to sell back the inventory because part of it was we had to fulfill inventory for all these different wrenches and things they sold. They had to have instruction books, warranty books, manuals, and we had to have those on the floor ready to give them uh, in a Kanban system that that they could then fulfill their orders that day. So there wasn't it wasn't like a lag. We had to have it all there. And when they said they were leaving, they basically threatened to, they dumped it all on you, basically. Yeah, and I was like, well, I can't do anything with this. This is branded for your product, and it's worthless to everybody else. But we had a contract, and it was enforceable, and we were able to, to get paid for it. But that was about $85,000 that I would not have been able to absorb. On fact, on, on top of the fact that at $600,000 a year, that monthly income was what we made any money from, if we made any money. In fact, on, looking back, I made... Our sales were much higher than they are now, and we made much less. Mm-hmm. So, what did you learn from that? I mean, Be just listen. Yeah. The bigger the customer, the smarter they are. And if you think you've got, you know what their costs are, they probably know better. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the reason they do things with somebody else is that they can save money. Yeah. And if you don't price properly, um, you know, we had 25, 24 employees. I have like 11 now. Mm-hmm. But uh, I had, our, at the end of the day, I don't know if I, I don't think we made much money at all. They just were very good at having us do all the work and then paying us really late. (laughs) I will be back with the rest of my interview with Dan Flatt in just a moment. Hundreds of websites come across our desks here at One Click Agency every single year. Here's a secret. I don't say it very often. They're all making the same five mistakes. I mean, they're basically making five simple mistakes, and you're probably making them too. So what we did is we wrote a PDF to help correct those mistakes at oneclickagency.com forward slash five website mistakes. See, if you're making one of these five mistakes, they are super easy to fix. This is foundational and just basic stuff for your website. Some of these mistakes are really just equivalent to a barbershop coming to me and saying, hey, Sam, you know no one is coming inside our shop. And so I go to their shop and I notice that their windows are painted black and they don't even have a sign in their building. 
And I say to the barbershop owner, well, scrape the paint off your windows and hang a sign on your building that says who you are. And guess what? You're going to see an uptick in sales. These are little website mistakes people are making that are as blatant as that, but for whatever reason, they can't seem to see them. And there are hundreds of people making these mistakes, like I said before, and I want to make sure that you see them. I want to point them out to you. Go to oneclickagency.com forward slash five website mistakes. It's completely free. Oneclickagency.com forward slash five website mistakes. And I'll explain what they are and how you can fix them. Oneclickagency.com forward slash five website mistakes. So when you go from 24 to 11 employees, what really changed? Did you streamline? Did you just say, look, we need to not be biting off more than we can chew? Well, so here's the problem with the business that I'm in. If you're a service industry... If, if, you're, if your sales go down, your costs go down with them, right? Well, it's not so with me because I have to invest in equipment. This piece of equipment out here is a $300,000 piece of equipment. If things go sideways, I'm still responsible for that payment. So the, pro- the problem is, and we're try- I try to have few, fewer employees and pay them well. That's always been from day one. In fact, Rick was the opposite. He wanted... To be everybody's buddy and pay, have a lot of people have it, have a, have a lower pay. But people need to be. If I want to keep my employees for, and I have great, I have great employees that, and I have very low turnover. I have to keep paying them more because they have to take care of their families. Their costs go up, and so I would rather invest in a piece of equipment like this, which allows me to leverage three people, versus having the older equipment, which I could certainly just keep. I could, I didn't need to do anything, and just hire another person. My cost would be the same, but now I can increase what I can do to my customers by speed to market, quality, new options, uh, weight of paper, size of paper, all those things I'm able to take advantage of now with the same three people that I couldn't do before, but I could have done it for the same cost with four people. Mm-hmm. It, so I and my and I try to pay our people. We pay higher than the market average by far, but I but on the flip side of it, I have no turnover. Mm-hmm. So when somebody comes to me, like Hardinge sends an order in. They don't have to worry who's fulfilling that order. They know who's fulfilling that order. Tony's fulfilling that order. And Tony's done this for two years or five years or ten years. And so they wear so many hats, they don't have to worry about the fact that this order is going to get fulfilled and delivered on time. Same with me. My customers expect, they'll call me and say, I need this tomorrow. Mm -hmm. They don't have to worry about it. It'll be there tomorrow. How do you think that smaller community feel between you know you and your staff and then even your clients knowing your staff has really helped i mean a lot of businesses i feel like it's oh well we got to grow 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 we got to as many employees as we can get and we're gonna hit the ground running right how is you know just like you know we're gonna keep it to the minimal amount of employees as we can we're gonna take care of them right and you know how has that helped you in the long run when it even comes to your customers well, I can tell you, like I said, the biggest benefit is my customers have certainty that mm-hmm. that they know that it's that if they order something, there's going to be somebody from our company that's going to look at it, watch it, and make sure it gets through and delivered on time. And it's that person that they usually they know, mm-hmm. you know. And whether it's you know, Rich is Rich was there before I got there, my wife was there before I got there, Tony, who's one of my main, he's on vacation this week. He worked for my parents as the IT guy back in the 90s. 
and then took over for me when I left Icon and sold the high-end copiers for me. And he came back to me, I don't know, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So he and I go way back. Doug used to have a print shop across the street. I've known him for 20 years. He's been with me for over 15. Jim had a family had a print shop in uh, on Cuca Lake in Hammondsport. And he's been with me for probably 15 years. So it's like quite a community that you have. And Marge, obviously Marge, yep. I know we go way back and she's been with me for a couple of years. Rob and I hired because I knew who she was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I knew her, her character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ralph was here before me. Mm-hmm. Ralph out front was here before I started with Rick. So, I mean, there's very few new people that are in our company. Yeah. And that's the way I like it. So yeah, if you were to do it all over again, that's how you do it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, you probably could grow faster going another way. But like I said, I've been there. I went from 1.1 to 2.5 in five years. Mm-hmm. And I lost more money on that fifth year than I've ever lost. It's just revenue isn't revenue isn't everything because yeah. at the end of the day we lost we we lost money, mm-hmm. and, and it was extremely stressful. So we try to grow intelligently, but yeah, it's scary when you have a customer that grows. Part of the rule of thumb is you don't want any customer to be more than twenty percent of your business. Okay. So when they start approaching that twenty percent, you got to worry about getting other clients to kind of add some revenue mm-hmm. so that their percentage still stays there. Because if they go like uh, Ingersoll Rand, I think they were up to thirty. 30 some odd percent and so and know, if they're gone then... they're gone it, it, it almost wiped us out mm-hmm. it really almost wiped us out my, my partner tried to throw me out of the business because <laughs> um, he, he the employees said hey you, we, you could get rid of us or we could just get rid of Dan yeah <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what happened yep and um, and I just sat there and I listened to it and he had 51 percent and I had 49 so uh, he he would have had to figure out how to get my shares but he controlled mm-hmm. the business and uh, yeah because that that tailspin going from 2.5 down to one we went down to 2.5 to 1.1 mm-hmm. again it was yeah it was it was off when you got wrenching when you lost that say 30 percent or even when you kind of see that a company is approaching that 20 percent what do you do to kind of ramp up um your marketing or your networking what do you do best what do you go out and do see the pro the the problem is there is no, there's no quick fix. Mm-hmm. There really isn't. So we've always we've always sponsored the local teams like the, the pioneers and the enforcers and the jackals before it, um, because of just having top of mind awareness. We have uh, always supported uh, like the local radio TV stations, and we've done substantial amounts of trade with them. So I can do like a Christmas commercial that I do every year, which is very popular. But, you know, we do direct mail campaigns, but a lot of it really is, a, it, it's just top of mind because you can't predict the one time that another vendor is going to just make a mistake or just do something wrong for the for the, the eighth time. And that was the trigger point where they're like, listen, We're done. I'm not happy. <laughs> I want to look for a better solution. And at that point, I just want them to be able to call me. I want them to think of us. How do you get them to think of you? What do you do to stay top of mind? That's a good question. I mean, it's it, it's just, as a B2B, it's really hard because your target customer is 500 out of yeah. a pool of mm-hmm. fifty to 100,000 people. So a lot of it is just relationships that you build up over time. So you do you get out and network a lot? Well, I'm, with I'm, the out, I'm out all the time on, on sales calls. But my sales calls are not the old-fashioned scale. I, I just I stop in. I'm the owner, so it's easy. I can stop mm-hmm. in and just check on somebody and say hi. Um, I've had banks like 
First Heritage went away from us for 10 years when they merged with CCSD. They had a different, CCSD had a different supplier and that buyer was going to go with them and that was the way it was. Mm -hmm. But a year ago, I got a call. Somebody else has taken over that responsibility. They used to work with us 10 years ago. They want to continue to work with us. So we, we picked that back up. And there's a lot of times you'll find that if you're in this long enough, you'll find that one person will take a job somewhere else and then you get a call from there and then you got it in. Yep. I mean, I like, to, there's really, I don't, it's not, it's more about having a great customer base that values you mm-hmm. and values what you do so that when they move, they're like, hey, I don't know who you guys are using, but you need to try out these guys because they are instead, always there. Instead of trying to get a ton of customers, just getting that revenue up, right? work on the value that you're providing. And that's and, always what you have to do. In our in our business today, it's, I mean, my guys, they get upset because I'm always pushing for quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker. Mm-hmm. That's why, that's why we keep investing in this equipment. You know, we have the only flatbed printer in the area. We have, we have the, this, that, this new iridescent. It's the only one, Albany to, to Rochester. We're the only one. It's about, it's about pushing the envelope so our customers can get a better product faster and it looks the same every single time. Like Guthrie, are these, they've got all these rack cards if you ever go. And the point is, when we first started work with them, I don't know, five, six years ago, you could look at the rack and had color variations all over the yeah. place. Because they would use multiple vendors, and the vendors had very low quality color control. So it was different between all. If you yeah. were to put four posters printed by four different. different, yeah, they all look different. And so one of the th- things that they brought me in is, listen, we're not happy with this. What can you do for us? And there's no perfect. I mean, you're not always going to hit it. But the point was, we're constantly working towards getting to a to a a space where every product looks exactly the same, and we're really close. And we watch it. We watch every single one. We got people watching over. We got samples that we actually look at when we print we have reference points and so that when they get the product there should be no surprises and they'll call me today and ask for something tomorrow and that's that's fine that's that's my business mm-hmm. i mean how is somebody online going to compete with me if i can deliver the same product tomorrow morning yeah they'd have to order it have pay extra shipping and get it tomorrow afternoon or the next day so our competition is our competition is somebody who can do it faster better cheaper and so that's where we're trying to box out everybody else is but this is what we want to do. We want faster, better, cheaper. So you you understand as the owner, look, we need to provide incredible value and yeah. great stuff for these customers. But what about your the people that work for you? How do you get them to be on the same page with you and understand, look, we're not we'd rather have one customer that loves us than two that are just like, Oh yeah, Dan Flat. Right. How do you instill that in them? Well, our bonus, we have a bonus program every week. So there's a, there's a sales number that we want to hit because it's break-even. Mm-hmm. You know, we got, that's, that's, that's what we all want to hit is break-even. And then you get paid above and beyond break-even. And then there's also a work in process, which is really out of anybody's control, even mine. I mean, but we want to make sure that our work in process, the work that we have left to do is a certain amount that will allow us to, to work for a certain amount of time or we don't pay a bonus. So there's an incentive to have that hopper always full, and the sales, because sales are pulling out of the hopper, mm-hmm. and new jobs are coming in to replenish that hopper. And so our goal is to hit a certain number, and if we hit that number, they get they get lunch on Wednesday. We bring it in, and then if they go above that, there's they get gift cards as, mm-hmm. as the value goes. So we're sharing, cool. we, share the, we share the bonus above break-even. Mm-hmm. So they have some skin in the game. They have skin in the game, mm-hmm. and and there's, and on the bad side of it, if there's a if there's a big mistake, that 
is that is something that should not have happened because somebody didn't focus on it, that comes out of the bonus pool. Mm-hmm. So that they also know that, and it only happens four or five times a year, but if something happens, it's going to come out of the bonus pool. And um, so they're going to get less of a bonus. Does that kind of help them be accountable to each other too? I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. The subtle peer pressure. Yeah. Because <laughs> the bonuses aren't huge. They're $50, but $50 yeah. a week is $50 a yeah, week. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And then at the end of the month, there's a, there's a bonus of 100 bucks or $150 if we hit certain numbers. And so that's, that allows them to constantly think about, what have I done today? Did I get enough out the door? Did I look at it? Does it look right? I don't want this coming back. And, you know, a lot of our customers' events are very high profile, and they're, they're, they're finite. I mean, the event is Thursday night at 5 o'clock. That if stuff it's not isn't done. ready. Mm-hmm. It has no value to them, and they are upset and angry. So it's getting them in these. I'm always panicking. That's my motive. I'm always, <laughs> I'm always worried about making sure everything is done because that event has to come off. And it, if it, the customer doesn't even notice it, if we do it right, it's just, it's just they're like, oh, it was great, everything was great. But if it does, something doesn't happen, I get a phone call. And um, most everything we do has some kind of a finite date on it. Mm-hmm. And so it's very important that we, whether it's a golf tournament or, because we'll, we'll, we'll supply golf tournaments for, like Notre Dame was last weekend. It was like four banners, four huge banners, 20-yard signs. Uh, foam board signs, all and it just all has to be there and dropped off by four. What happens Friday? What happens if six thirty runs rolls around? You know, and you you guys make a mistake. How do you own up to that? What happens in a situation like that? I mean, some things are unforeseen. Let's say a printer goes down, and you're just like, yeah. What happens? How do you own that? Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I don't think it's happened yet. That's a um, good. That's good. <laughs> we panic. I mean, it's. But I have so. When I showed you around, we have a a 64-inch roll-to-roll printer, mm-hmm. but also out back I have the flatbed, but it also has the roll-to-roll attachment. So you have, if something goes redundancy. down, then you can, yeah. You know, that's that's one of the things. You have things. some insurance. People, a lot of people used to say redundancy is just, it's it's fat that needs to be cut out of the system, and it's like, no, that's when the rubber hits the road. When the hits the fan, you know, mm-hmm. if you don't have redundancy, you're faced with a problem. I would have to probably reach out to a to a friend of mine that had equipment that I could ask to do it, mm-hmm. and we have done that before, you know, where the, proactively we just the machines down, but having three color machines and a press, I got four devices that can produce color. I got two produces two large formats that can produce color. So if something goes down, I've you have that there. insurance policy, yeah, and that's really all. That's why I've done it because I don't have the luxury of saying we'll do it tomorrow. You don't have a second chance of that. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. So. When it comes to you, if you, let's say it's 2000 or 1999 and you had just started and you could say one thing to yourself, what would it be just to either encourage yourself or say, look, watch out for this? Hmm. Even the bad things teach lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Um, fiscal responsibility. It's, there's a lag. So when you run a business, especially when you're running like a business we bill most everything. So very little is cash. So you're going to be responsible for ordering supplies from a vendor. And then you're going to have terms with that vendor. Then you're going to hold these supplies in stock. A customer is going to order a product. You're going to use those supplies. You're going to produce that job for the customer. The customer is going to pay you. Well, the problem is the customer may pay you in 120 days. Yeah. Some of our customers, right? And our vendors are want to be paid in 30. So... The cash flow 
is really the most critical part of running a business and what most people don't realize or don't understand until it's too late. Dan, thanks for being on the podcast. Again, guys, Dan is the owner of Multimedia Services down in Corning, New York. And if you want to find out more about what they do and possibly how they can help your business, um, you can check them out at www.mmsny.com. So Multimedia Services, the abbreviation, ny.com. Next week, I have a local business owner named Tony Granger on the podcast. Uh, Tony owns and runs a real estate brokerage in Southport, New York. Here's a short clip of my interview with Tony. So I knew the bad experiences that I had, and I wanted to keep others from having those same bad experiences. Now, every deal is different. That's one of the many things I love about this job. So as things came around, I tried to look in the future as to, okay, what if this doesn't happen? Or, you know, how can I avoid this customer from having a bad experience? Let me see what I can do. And that's the way I've worked my practice all the way up to today's date. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Small Business Made Simple podcast. I just want to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review if you haven't already. Honestly, this just helps get the word out and I would greatly appreciate it. Remember, we want your competitors to see how you run your business and say to themselves, man, why didn't we think of that? Thank you.